0: Today on the show, we looked at all the possibilities and content to discuss and chose the laziest, uh, sorry, the most pragmatic and listener-rewarding option possible, a mailbag. Welcome to Wind's Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. Alright, Abu, here we are. It's mailbag time, so we're we're scraping the bottom of that content barrel.
1: Yeah, we are. I, I, I'd like to think that we tried, you know, that we really brainstormed some ideas and we were like, cool, what awesome episodes could we do next? But we didn't, man. Pandemic times. We were just like, let's do a mailbag. Let's be lazy. Let's ask our listeners to come up with the content for us. <laughs> so here we are.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's almost... There's only so much speculation you can really do, and, you know, we had that episode, and just to keep doing that, you know, that's not really too interesting to me, but what is interesting are these questions we got, especially from people who did not know much of the background of The Witcher, and this will be fun for us to kind of help explain and maybe connect a few dots.
1: Uh, So here's, here's what we did for today. We split up the questions, I took three, you took three, and then we have some bonus ones at the end that we're going to go through lightning round. So let me kick it off with my first question here. How long was Ciri wandering alone after the sack of Sintra? The entire season felt like Ciri was wandering forever, but the editing of the last two episodes via the point of view of The Witcher made it feel like only a few days. So again, we have broached the subject of timeline, which I think we is well established and we've sort of beaten this dead horse over and over again, the timeline in season one was very hit or miss for a lot of viewers, and it was often confusing for somebody who hasn't read the books and sort of had a groundwork to come into the show. But the answer here is twofold. So there's two timelines we sort of have to reconcile here. There's the book timeline, and then there's the show timeline. And if you listen to our deep dive episodes, you already know that some of them are different. So let me answer this question in two ways. The book timeline is fairly clear, although it's, uh, it's lacking details. The Slaughter of Sintra in the book takes place in 1263. And then the short story Something More, which is this, the moment where Ciri and Geralt meet in the books, takes place in 1264. So I guess that means Ciri was sort of wandering anywhere from a couple of months to a full year alone after the, sac- or after the Slaughter of Sintra. Does that track with you?
0: Yeah, it seems about right. And again, it's lacks a few details, and it's somewhat clear is the Witcher in a nutshell, the books, I should say, and the sh- <laughs> and the show has taken that on perfectly. So yeah, this is one of those where if you want every single thing, okay, this happened, this this happened, hat this happened, that this happened, that you're probably not going to get it. You'll get you know round dates such as the slaughter Center did that, but that sounds about right. And a big thing was. In the books, we we don't know really what happens there. We know Sereb slaughter of Sintra gets taken by Kyre, and then she just sneaks away from him. And then we see her in Brokilon. Well, actually, sorry, the first time we really see her is in Brokilon, because we don't know anything else before that except what she says about you know how she got away from him.
1: Right, right. And in the books, the Brokilon section doesn't take place after the slaughter of Sintra. It takes place years before when Siri is much younger. So that sort of middle section, the show took some liberties with. The show timeline is a bit more clear, but also, again, extremely vague. So the show timeline was officially released by the showrunners, by the producers, uh, after season one completed. Based on this timeline, the slaughter of Sintra took place in 1263 in the show. So that lines up with the books same year. In the show, though, Geralt and Siri. Also meet in 1263, presumably a couple of days after, so this question was actually right. The show makes it seem like it's a couple of days, and based off of this Mashable article that I found, the guess is that series escape aligns with the mages convening at Eratusa and then going to Sodden Hill and the Battle of Sodden Hill taking place. So if you assume that all that mage action takes place over a couple of days... Siri is wandering for roughly a week in the show before she stumbles upon Geralt and finally meets him. So that's quite a bit of a difference compared to the books, a year versus just a week or so, a couple of days. Uh, But it seems like the TV show has compressed that timeline down a little bit so that Siri isn't just some little girl wandering alone for a year. Which seems extremely unlikely to me.
0: Which, yeah, and that's why they, I'm assuming, I don't know this, but that's why I assume they created the character Dara, was because it'd be hard to show Siri wandering alone on screen. And she would either have to do an open monologue, talking to herself all the time, which is probably not the best TV, or they have someone yeah. with her to kind of show that. And again, it showcased the struggle of the elves and all the different especially the persecution and discrimination against them so it kind of tied that in with it as far as backstory but i think ultimately why they compressed it down was because it didn't really matter like i said in the books she escapes kair and then that's really it whether it takes a few months or a year nothing really happens or we don't learn anything that really matters so in this you compress it down to a week she escapes kair And it's all basically the same. So I'm guessing they did that because ultimately it just didn't really matter.
1: Yeah, nothing relevant happens between Siri leaving Sintra and meeting Geralt. The book just totally skips over it, like you said, and the show squeezes in Dara, the Brokilon stuff, the refugee camp stuff. So the answer here, to summarize, is twofold. In the books, roughly a couple months to a year, who knows? Doesn't matter. Nothing really important happens. In the show, if you do some rough math... It's going to be about a week of her wandering, but again, all that happens here is Brokilon stuff and refugee stuff, which is all just sort of character and world development. None of this is really ever going to come back in the show. We Again, we talked about how Brokilon is just sort of a one-off. Uh, yeah, not a huge part of series adventure. Her real adventures are about to kick off in the future, but again, this was an interesting question, and it was... Interesting to see how the show treated the timeline compared to the books. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter.
0: (laughs) That's pretty much it.
1: (laughs) So, Brett, let's do your first question.
0: All right. So, my first question that I chose came from Fat Win from Twitter. Which Witcher character would be best at a Murph workout, which is running a mile, 300 squats, 200 push-ups, 100 pull-ups, and then running another mile. Uh, So the the reason they asked me that was because I'm currently doing one of those every day for 30 days. And yeah, I will do day 28, so we only have three more days, uh, as soon as we finish this recording here. And so the way I've done it is I've broken it up between I run a mile and then it's 20 sets of 15 squats... 10 push-ups, five pull-ups, or 10 sets of a different way. But I kind of break that up and then run those miles. So, yeah, and my knees are about done. Uh, again, oh my in, my, in my mid-30s and all that fun stuff. And I did weight vest on some days, and I've done like a lower carb on others, but that's probably just dumb. So, which Witcher character was asked? Um, I guessed, and I would say that it would have to be a Witcher Because it requires a just ton of energy and especially upper body strength to do that. Mainly stamina as well. And so the person who would be the best at it, I think, would be someone who would be superhuman in that sense. And Lambert was the youngest. So I figured, okay, maybe him. Because I don't remember anything from the books or the show of any of the witchers of it saying that somebody was like physically above others. Like, I don't remember hearing that. Do you?
1: No, not at all. Uh, yeah. Their physicality was just sort of assumed that they're faster, stronger, and have incredible reflexes. Yeah, uh, it's we don't know one Witcher's physicality versus another's, and whether age or, I assume, like, injuries would play a part in that, too. So
0: I put up a poll on Twitter saying, which Witcher do you think would be the best at it? And Geralt was the majority. And so I don't know if that was, like, one of those... Home cooking kind of things where people are like, oh, I know Geralt. I'm just going to pick Geralt because he's the biggest badass. So that was chosen by Geralt. And I guess from the non-Witcher I pick would be Ciri because of, you know, the Elder Blood kind of thing. Puts her at this kind of superhuman category.
1: Yeah. Give her that edge, you know. Plus the training she went through, you know, definitely helps her out a bit too. I will say I'm going to tiptoe around this answer a little bit but Regis, I think, would be a good contender for this. I won't say why, because that's a spoiler, but for the people who've read the books and know who Regis is and the part he plays in the story, I think he'd be able to knock this out pretty easily. Don't you?
0: Yeah, maybe. I guess, I I don't know. Are you imagining, like, a a buff Regis? A swole
1: Regis? (laughs) A swole Regis, maybe in his younger days, but I also think, like, because of, like, who he is and what yeah, he is, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, no, you're pro- yeah, No, you probably, know,
0: yeah, again, yeah, the, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I would I would also nominate, I would add Regis to the list. I think he would be able to do this Murph workout. Uh But I agree, it, it would have to be a Witcher. I agree that it would have to be a younger Witcher. I don't think Vesemir's rocking 300 squats and 200 push-ups and 100 pull-ups, you know? Like, he, I think he, ha- he still has his capabilities, and he's still a very adept Witcher. But I think he's leaning more towards a... Uh, I'm going to teach, I'm going to coach, I'm done doing the hard stuff these days. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and that's one of those things where I think the games have me biased against it because I don't get the feeling that Vesemir is as old in the books as he's portrayed in the games. And when we see who was cast for Vesemir in season two, like he's not that old. Like, Granted, they might age him up a little bit, and they probably will, but... You know he's like a geriatric in the games and he's kind of he's kind of like fat, you know, and so i just I never really got that he was that old or kind of that pudgy. I just kind of figured he was maybe i don't know I figured he's like maybe he looks like in his fifties or something, but they um they didn't do him any favors in the looks department in the games
1: yeah, that's interesting. I had no preconceived vision of him because I read the books after I had already played some of which are 3, so I already had that visual, and that's just the visual I took with me into the books when I read, and I just kind of, that was the picture of Vesemir in my mind. So it's interesting that you sort of assumed he was a bit younger, maybe a bit healthier, instead of sort of the uh, old pudgy uncle he is <laughs> yeah. in the games. <laughs> Papa Vez. Papa Bez. All right, let's move on to question number two for me. This one's a long one, but I, I think it could lead to some... Uh, Interesting discussions. I was confused as to what actually happens at the enchantment ceremony when all the young mages graduate. Do each of the young mages get a general spell cast on them that makes them immortal and beautiful at that point, and it happens without pain, or is it more specific? Yen missed the initiation, yet she was still able to go to the mage where he removed her deformities, albeit painfully. And he made her immortal? Question mark. The thing that made the ceremony more confusing for me was Yen was working on what she wanted from the enchantment while telling Istrid that he's fine being from Bannard and he has nothing to ask for. So I love that this person snuck in like four questions into one. <laughs> yeah. Real hard flex. I love it.
0: <laughs> and comments too.
1: <laughs> and comments. No, I, I really did appreciate everyone that reached out. There were some, uh, some really good questions here and I'm glad, I'm glad we had some content for today's mailbag. This topic, was something that you and I discussed a lot, I think. A lot of it we discussed on mic, some we discussed off mic. A lot of it actually ultimately got cut from our episodes and didn't make it into the final like deep dive episodes, mainly because I think you and I just were confused and didn't come to a really satisfying answer. And so I ultimately decided to cut those. But we can rehash that a bit here. I think one thing I want to clarify... There, there seems to be a misconception in this question that mages are immortal. To clear that up, mages are not immortal like elves. They will not live forever. They simply age much slower than the average human because of their connection to magic and because of their powers. And in addition to that, a lot of mages, as they age, will use illusions or magic to change their physical appearance to, at least on the outside, look young and beautiful for their entire lives. So that's one thing I wanted to clarify. Not immortal, they just live super long lives because of their connection to magic.
0: Coming up in season two, we're going to meet a mage who uses an illusion to cover half of her face because it's basically like a skull. So that's going to be one way that they can use illusions to do it. But yeah, generally, the using magic to change the physical appearances... You know, again, looking at Yen, she was a hunchback. It was one of those, she's not going to have as much influence over kings and courts and all of that if she looked like a hunchback. Now, you might say, like, oh, that's just wrong because blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it probably is. But that's also 100% like a reality. Even in a medieval fantasy, that's the reality of it because she's going to be able to sway these men, these, you know, rich, powerful men and kings because she's hot.
1: And right. Rich, I, powerful, horny man. Yeah. And,
0: and a lot of people are just like, oh, I can't. Oh, of course they do that. Oh, da, da da And it's like, man, I just told you what I'm in the middle of doing for a month every day of killing myself <laughs> to try to essentially look better. You think if I could snap my fingers and all of a sudden bulk up and, you know, get attractive, I don't have any hair. So you think if I couldn't change it, and give myself a nice full head of hair like I had 15 years ago, I wouldn't do it. I do it in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, everyone would. Like, there's, again, we mentioned this, I said this in one of our deep dives, but everyone's got that, like, vision of them of their ideal selves. You know, we all want something. We all want to change something about ourselves physically. That's just a normal human desire. And imagine if you could just do it at the snap of your fingers. Like, of course you would. You wouldn't think twice about it. And, uh, you know, these mages are extremely powerful. They have access to potions and elixirs and illusions. Of course, they're going to do it. Of course, they would opt to look beautiful their entire lives. Anybody would. I think that totally tracks. And you're totally right about the political influence part of it. A lot of these mages will be going to the courts of kings around the the northern kingdoms. They will need political influence, they'll need sway. And lo and behold, these kings are men and they will want beautiful women in their courts. So that's what the mages produce. So talking about so, backing up a little bit and talking about this graduation ceremony, in the books, I think it's all but confirmed that Aratu, all the girls that graduate from Eratusa go through this ceremony as part of their graduation, and they all undergo some sort of physical transformation to make themselves, quote-unquote, more objectively beautiful. And again, we talked about a couple of reasons why this may be, One is obviously it's a heavily patriarchal society. Two, they need political and influence in that heavily patriarchal society. So they got to look beautiful. And then three, like stepping out of the world and the lore a bit, the books were written by an old white man. (laughs) So to some extent, all the female characters have to be babes. And, you know, I think it's forgivable within the world. And while it's not like 2020 levels of woke, it makes sense within its self-contained world, especially like when you think of the society that these mages have to play their parts in. One thing that is interesting, and to like address the thing with Estrid and Bannard, the men don't have to do this. They're allowed to look like old fucks. Like, look at Stregobor. <laughs> he's not exactly the most good-looking motherfucker around.
0: Yeah, they they made everybody hot. To be. They made everybody hot in The Witcher, but not Stregobor. No offense not to Stregobor. Lars Mikkelsen.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what happens in the books. Bannard doesn't have to go through these transformations, but all the girls in Eratusa do go through the transformations for those multiple reasons. The show here makes it a bit confusing, and you and I sort of discussed this. I don't think it made the final cut in an episode, but the, some of the girls in Jens class don't look like they change at all in the show, so it's kind of unclear if they went through any sort of physical transformation.
0: Yeah, she's basically... The only one that it looks like went through it. And I couldn't quite exactly figure out or find out, but there are two noticeable mages from the books that I believe did not do transformations. And the first one is one we will be introduced to in season two. Um, she has been cast, and that's Francesca Findebear, who was an elf. So she's regarded as the most beautiful person in the world. So she's an elf. So she didn't go to Eretuza. And she kind of, you know, did her own thing there. The other one I can think of was Fringilla, who, as a mage in Nilfgaard, Nilfgaard forbid mages from changing their appearance. They kept mages on a very short leash, knowing the influence they've had. (laughs) They've looked at the Northern realms and been like, oh, these mages are running shit. We're not going to let them do whatever. So basically, Emir was like forbidding mages from changing their appearance the one thing that i could not find for sure is i don't know if fringilla went to Eratusa or not or if it was just assumed because hey all mages go there and then they sent her there like i couldn't find anything in the books that actually said like that she went there but i think it's just to be assumed but maybe Uh, because but maybe because she was there and they said yo you're going to nilfgaard that then prevented her from changing her appearance. So I'm thinking that's what it was, why hers wasn't changed.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Do you think the show is trying to change up the graduation ceremony or it just is sort of ignoring it because it's not hugely relevant?
0: I mean, the thing, the reason I don't like what they did was they're making Yen special. They're making it seem like, oh, no, she changed her appearance because she's this gross hunchback. And instead of like everybody doing it, you know, someone, Sabrina and all them, like they're all very busty, very thin waists, because they magically done it. Because you know they want right. to look hot, and they know that'll be a, a that'll be easier to manipulate men. And so I don't like that they made Yin seem like she was the only one that did it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I, I kind of wish that they had shown some sort of like very quick ceremony scene for the other girls in her class as well, just so we could have clarification on this because, and this might be a budget thing, but you and I talked about how her classmates don't even look different after (laughs) it's been like 30 years and nobody looks different. Like Yen is the only one who got beautiful and totally changed her outward appearance, but all of her classmates look basically the same So the show, it's like kind of unclear in the show what happens, and it totally, I totally understand why this question was submitted to us, because the show is unclear. If you haven't read the books, you don't realize that all the female mages undergo this transformation. In the show, it looks like just Yen, and maybe they're just trying to make Yen special, maybe it's an oversight, or maybe it's literally just a budget thing, and they didn't want it, didn't have like the hair and makeup budget to make all the, all of Yen's classmates look totally different and transformed, but... At the end of the day, I, you know, it's relevant to this world, and I think it's an important part of Yen's journey. It's an important part of the journey of almost every female mage that graduates through Aertuza. But it, it, it's, like, not hugely relevant, and, you know, it's not something that'll be revisited too often. So uh, I guess it's okay that the show sort of glosses over it. Let's, uh, let's move on to your second question.
0: All right, my second question. What does it mean that Ciri has Elder Blood? I hear something about half-elf, but that seems common. So basically... What a el-
1: loaded question. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Again, I'm going to have to tiptoe a lot around this because this, by and large, is the crux of, I don't know, 90% of the character's motivations <laughs> are oh, yeah. about Siri and they're about Elder Blood, going from everybody. And there's a... Big contingent of people that have not been mentioned yet in the shows, and I actually haven't seen anything about them being cast yet for season two, so I'm just going to leave them out. So basically, Elder Blood, is people, descendants of the elven sorceress Lara Doran, which carry a magical gene, if you will, now it could be dormant. So when Ciri screams and shakes everything, or when she almost tipped that little tower onto Kyir, that's what's called a source, uh, a Pavetta. You know, Pavetta and Dunny, when she's doing all that, that's the source. So it was dormant in Calantha. So Calantha had it, Pavetta had—sorry, uh, Calantha did not have it. Oh, she had the Elder Blood, but, you know, she carried the gene. Again, this is just so confusing. It can be dormant like <laughs> Calantha. She didn't have it. Siri has it. Pavetta has it. And so, long story short, the Ithlian's prophecy, what we heard Kair say at the end of episode—is that seven?
1: You know, I the think time, it was seven.
0: Time yeah. of the Sword and Axe is nigh. When Siri went into her trance. No, Kyer was six. Siri went into her trance at the end of seven. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When Siri goes in that trance, you know, the Time of the Sword and Axe is nigh and all that. That's Ithlian's prophecy. Stated that a child of the Elder Blood would save the elves from the White Frost, but Laradoran, that elf who kind of first had it, got with a human, a human sorcerer, and that was that, you know, pretty much, or so they think. So basically, this Elder Blood was an experiment by all these elven mages to try to get this magical gene in somebody powerful enough to stop this world-ending prophecy.
1: Yeah, and again we have to like you said, we have to tiptoe around this and be very careful because this the story of the Witcher is about this. Like Ciri, her elder blood, her powers, all of that will come into play. And I think you know, you gave a really great summary of like the history of the Elder Blood, but we can't say anything about it going forward because it's, it will, it'll be unraveled. So, the person who asked this question, the best thing you can do is just wait for seasons two and three and four and five, and all of it will start to make sense as we learn more about Siri and her powers and what makes her so special. Okay,
0: we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hey there, my name's Leo. I'm a producer here at Lore Party, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my Last of Us series. Humanity survived, but the world is changed forever. The Cordyceps brain infection has spread across the globe. Nevertheless, life goes on. Joel, with his troubled past, and Ellie, one of the only hopes for humanity's future, are forced to make difficult decisions. Dodging cannibal cults and militant revolutionaries, clickers and bloaters on the wildest road trip of the 2030s. Tune into our Last of Us episodes where my co-host Lawrence and I discuss the ultimate moral questions the game posits, the characters who bring the world to life, whether we meet them or not, and, of course, Jimmy Cooper. Hop on over to our Lore Party feed and search for The Last of Us. Well, that's enough for me. Back to your show.
1: All right, let's move on to my question number three. So the last question that I selected here, do the books slash stories explain his potions? He just kind of pulls them out and does stuff with them, and it's never explained in the show. Like, where do they come from? How does he have them? And what do they do? Again, props to this person for sneaking in four questions (laughs) into one. I love it. <laughs> but no. So the question here is generally about the potions. What the heck are they? Where do they come from? The show didn't explain it. We saw it at the beginning when Geralt, like the very opening scene of the show, where he he's got like the the veins. His eyes are like totally pitch black, and he's fighting the Kikimora. Um, so the interesting thing about the potions is the books don't really explain them either. <laughs> so the show is really following suit here. They exist, of course. they're part of witcher culture, and they're relevant to Geralt and other witchers doing their jobs, of course. But besides just a few of them, they aren't explained. The book doesn't exactly give us recipes into how to make these potions or where they come from. And we're just supposed to sort of understand that these potions will enhance, like, a number of abilities for witchers when they're facing these monsters, make their reflexes faster, make them immune to certain poisons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they will take a certain potion depending on the fight that they're about to go into. So, if you're hunting something that has a certain type of venom, you'll maybe take the anti venom potion before you go into that fight so you don't get killed. So, the potions just assist these witchers during their hunts. Uh, What is interesting is the games took that potion mechanic and actually turned it into a game mechanic, which potions, if you play any sort of RPG or fantasy games, are very much a game mechanic. Health potions, mana potions have been around since the dawn of gaming and it was kind of interesting that Witcher potions fit right into the Witcher video games and they really took, CD Projekt Red really took their liberties with this aspect of it, basically because the books don't expand on it at all and they basically had free reign to do whatever they could with the potions and turn it into a a game mechanic. So again, these are game mechanics and these don't necessarily translate to the books and the shows and what's interesting is the books sort of forget the potions and Geralt uses them less and less and less as the books continue forward and i have a feeling the show will as well
0: yeah it's something that is much more suitable for an rpg game than for either like a book or a show because in a game You can carry, I don't know, like 10,000 bottles on you somehow. Right. And you can take, you know, 17 potions right in the middle of a battle in less than a second. (laughs) So it's something that you couldn't really do um, in reality of what a book or show could show. And what I also got out of the potions were he only takes them when it's time to fight a monster, when it's something that he needs to be at his absolute heightened sense. And they're not easy to take. It's not like like in a game where you just chug 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 chug. They did a good job in the show of showing when he drinks them he's like, "Oh god. Like these are fucking yeah. horrible tasting." And I kind of got that out to where they don't necessarily harm him, but this is almost where yet yeah, we're going to help you it's going to help you fight and help you do all that, but it's not like this you know, magical steroid you inject in your Popeye, and you just spring into action. (laughs) So I don't think that's kind of what I got out of it. But no, a good thing you brought up was after the short stories, I can only think of literally a handful of times he fights a monster. It just really doesn't go from there. Like, you can tell that Sapkowski started these stories as this monster hunter And then right now, in the show, and by the time you get to Blood of Elves, the actual first novel, if you will, it's very clear that this isn't about monster hunting anymore.
1: Yeah, totally. And I I like that you brought up the potions being painful. I forgot to mention earlier, most Witcher potions are so powerful that they would be lethal to the average human. Like, Witchers can only take them because of their enhanced bodies Like, they would not be able to survive taking these potions if they were just average humans. Um, I agree that the show did a good job of making them seem like difficult things to take. You know, it's not just cough syrup. Like, (laughs) it's making your eyes pitch black, your veins are popping. Like, you do this when you need to because you're about to get into a a fight with a monster and and you don't want to die. All right, Brett, final question on your end.
0: All right, the last one I chose, why does Yennefer hate Eretuza so much? And, I mean, I would think, at least for me, what I got out of it was, it was it was pretty obvious <laughs> why she didn't like Arutuza. Um, First off, she doesn't like people telling her what to do, like, ever. And so she goes to the school, and she's literally told what to do. And then especially by a domineering headmaster, if you will, Tissaia. <laughs> so she didn't really like that too much. Uh, The biggest thing we get out of this is the choice. She no longer has the option of having a child. What I got out of it was, I don't think she felt she fully knew what was going to happen. And especially with the whole living so much longer, that a choice you make when she was, again, a teenager at the time, 20-something, whatever it was, that you're going to think that same way 20, 30, 40 years from then. So I think she's very bitter about that also. And the last one would be just kind of regret, and it kind of goes back to both of those, and with the always wanting more kind of thing, where she's never where she's at right now. She's maybe never really going to be happy with where she's at. There's always maybe, you can say, chasing something or wanting something she doesn't have.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually, I should have maybe copied more of this email. This question came in a, like, a really long, detailed email from one of our listeners, which was, Amazing to get. And I think I responded to it as well. And the person who wrote this email really expounded on their thoughts here. Like the, I think the fact that Jennifer basically had nothing going for her in her normal life. Like she had this presumably abusive father and they were like poor farmers from what we could tell she was bullied and mistreated because of her outward appearance In this email, the person who asked this question really talked about the fact that Aretuza gave her a lot in life also, right? It gave her power. It gave her beauty. It gave her looks. It gave her the ability to control her magic and influence the world and go live in, you know, lavish courts with kings and live this life that she would not have had as a poor farmer, especially with the way she looked. You know, again, we talked about looks being so important in this world, she would not have gone very far in life if she hadn't gone through Aretuza, regardless of how traumatic it was for her and how bitter she feels about it and the regretful choices she made in her time there. In this email, this person laid out a really strong case for, like, objectively, isn't Yennefer's life better now?
0: Yeah. I mean, clearly it is, but at the same time... It's one of those she didn't get to choose it. You can say that about witchers as well. Yeah, they might have been war orphans or they might have been given up or anything like that, but they didn't choose to be witchers. They didn't choose to have all that. So maybe it's one of those they'd rather make their own mistake kind of thing. But I also think a big thing that Yennefer hates Eratuza when she goes back is the eels. Like her friends were literally, well, not literally, her friends were essentially killed and turned into these eels to power. Eratuza in this magic, yeah. and she obviously doesn't like that. And so that's one case where we see her, I don't know if you would call it empathy or whatever, but she's like, this place is not what they say it is. This is not about bettering all this. It's about them having their power. And I think she kind of sees through that false thing of, you know, something needs to die so that others may live.
1: Yeah. No, I think you hit on it right there. And in my response to this email, I think I basically just said what you said too, but it's the choice. She didn't get to make this choice in her previous life. She may have had, she could have run away from home. She could have, like, I don't know, reconciled her relationship with her father. Like, there would have been an infinite number of choices she could have made had her life been untouched by Tessaya's visit and being recruited against her will to Eratusa take you know stripped away from her family and presumably a loving mother her mother was you know crestfallen when she was taken away i think the thing that here that we have to remember is for us as outsiders with no magical abilities who want to become beautiful it's easy to look at yen's journey and be like oh well yeah i want those things you know like i can almost relate it to wanting to be rich and famous It looks like a life of glamour, right? From the outside, everybody wants to be rich and famous. I want to be rich and famous. And it's not all it's cracked up to be. And there are a number of stories, both fictional and real, that explore this theme. But the idea of like the things that people desire so much power, beauty, wealth can ultimately end up being the things that destroy them. You know, too much of any one of those things can destroy you. All of that sort of like compounds together into Yennefer's hate for Aretusa, And it's really complex to understand. I think it's hard to put ourselves in, in her shoes, but you have to try to like look beyond the beauty and the power and the, the wealth that she achieves. Yep. All right, Brett, let's wrap it up. We have some other questions that we wanted to squeeze in because they were fun. So let's end the episode on just like a rapid fire. Let's go through this last batch of questions and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up today. So question number one, and I can't wait to hear your answer on this. Have you considered dyeing your hair white and growing it out?
0: Yeah, go to my Twitter page, look at my profile picture, <laughs> and then you'll get your answer. <laughs> now, as I stated before, yeah, um, I'm essentially pretty much bald. I pretty much shave it down, not with a razor, but with almost like a zero blade. And so no, I am not going to grow my hair out, and I sure as shit ain't dying it white. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let let me modify this question for you because you do have a beard. Yeah. If if you if your beard went white, would you rock the white beard or would you would you put dye into it?
0: No. Yeah, I would never. I'd never dye. And that's not a knock on anybody who does it, but I think that's just kind of a generational thing. It's the same thing like going bald. It's perfectly okay now. Just own it. And so that's one of those things where when I see people that like always wear a hat or they always have like the head covered, I'm like, if you're over. Like forty or fifty. Like, if you're over like fifty, I'm like, okay, I get it. That's like a generational thing, like the comb over and whatnot. But if you're like younger, if you're in your like 20s or 30s, man, just own it. So There's my soapbox.
1: There you go. No, I love it. That's good. That that's a great mentality. Um, I'm actually the same way. I would my parents, for example, not to like call my parents out scoreboard the podcast, them, <laughs> but yeah, but they my parents have been dying their hair forever. You know, like they. They like the natural black color of their hair that it used to be 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they've been dyeing their hair forever. Uh, but it's interesting because I, I don't think I ever will. My answer th- to this question is, my hair is literally already going white, and I'm still in my mid-20s. So I will probably hit like peak Silver mane by my 30s, like mid-30s, is my guess. Um, like at the rate, my hair is going white. I'm going to hit that, like, mid-30s, probably closing in on 40s. So I'm actually quite looking forward to it. And unlike my parents, I don't plan on dyeing my hair. I'm going to rock the full white mane when it gets here. Uh, In fact, I'm actually very excited for the salt and pepper period. I think I'm going to look real fucking good during that. So uh, I'm already already getting, like, little white speckles in my beard. I got uh, so many white hairs. Um, They still kind of get lost in my hair, but, you know, if you comb through comb your hand through my hair, as so many people do. <laughs> no, nobody does that. Do I was that. To say, wait um, a minute. <laughs> so question number two. In your opinion, are yellow eyes more likely to get you laid by witches?
0: So I put down, I don't think jaundice has ever gotten anyone laid. <laughs> so um, I don't think so. And the reason this comes up is because I've been watching anybody out there, even, even a passive basketball fan um, ESPN just started their last dance documentary on basically the Jordan Bulls from the NBA and like Michael Jordan his like eyes are yellow and it's just like damn are we not gonna address that is anybody gonna bring Ooh. that up like is, is it jaundice <laughs> is it just with like, all the hard alcohol that dude's been drinking because he's literally drinking like his tequila during like his big glass of tequila during this interview And so, yeah, I don't think, again, I can only speak for more modern thing, but no, I don't think yellow eyes are just like, oh, hey, I don't even care about those cat eyes. It's them yellow eyes that gets the ladies turned on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my answer uh, was less medical in nature and more philosophical. I wrote down that it's not about the color or the shape of my eyes that will attract the witches. It's what's behind them. It's what's on the inside. Boo.
0: Boo. I Boo. know. I
1: know. <laughs> Lame. Lame. Yeah, but, but that, that's my answer to that question. Is It's not about the color of one's eyes. It is what is behind them. And, uh, you know, a witch should be in love with you for your intellect, for your heart, and not for your looks. But it doesn't hurt that Henry Cavill is one good-looking motherfucker. So. Yeah, it's not going to hurt him. <laughs> All right, final, final rapid question here. Is The Witcher being smelly a running joke in the books and games as well? So,
0: Witchers are just supposed to be these gross-ass mutant freaks. That's the way they're treated, essentially, except by sorcerers who just want to bang them. <laughs> but I said, basically, it's better to have them hot and, you know, get with everybody and book and show agree on this. And so, that's just another thing where I think Sapkowski just changed what he wanted. It's very clear from the first book and from the first story, Geralt is a freak. He's a mutant. He's a monster. People keep telling him that. But again, as it goes on, that seems to be mentioned a lot less. And especially when it comes down to every single woman essentially wanting to get with him and him reciprocating and doing it, even when he doesn't want to. I think it just yeah. became like, ass ah, screw it. It's better to have, you know, fun, sexy time fantasy.
1: Yeah, it's more entertaining that way. But yes, that that is effectively effectively the answer to answer like the smelly portion of the question directly. I don't think so. Like, yes, they were mentioned as witches were mentioned as freaks. And visually, they were like, scary to look at, of course, but I don't think smell was ever necessarily brought up directly in the books. I think this was maybe just like a joke in the show. And they, I I don't know, maybe it was an inside joke, but no, like the smell in particular is not something that stands out about a witcher. Uh, That was just something that the show brought up like once or twice and then forgot about. So I I don't know what that was about.
0: I think the show would have brought it up to show that he's a nomad, if you will. He's always outside. Like he's going to stink. I mean, I think a lot of people in this universe are going to stink outside of the people who actually have roofs over their heads and have access to fragrances and herbs but i think that was just to show this guy's been out on the road he just fought that kikimora in that nasty pond so i think it's just to show that he's you know a traveler and he's gonna stank
1: yeah that makes sense and you got to bring henry cavill down to earth a little bit you know
0: yeah just a tiny bit that we can't even tell because we're watching and not smelling (laughs) (laughs) true that Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.